one of these first century debates about the meaning of Torah or the law, those first five books. One of the scribes came near and heard Jesus disputing with the other religious professionals and seeing that he was answering them well, the scribe asked him, which commandment is the first of all? Jesus replied, the first is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Then the scribe said to them, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that the Lord is one, and besides him there is no other. And to love him with all your heart and all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, this is more important than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, He said to him, you are not far off from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask Jesus another question. The word of the Lord. It's important to recognize that Jesus here was offering the right answer, not offering a new one, but giving the one that was correct. In the first century, alongside Jesus, there was a famous rabbi, his name was Hillel, and he was approached by a Gentile, and he was asked, someone asked the wise rabbi if he could teach him the whole Torah while standing on one leg. The rabbi replied, what is hateful to you Do not do to your neighbor. That's the whole Torah, the law. The rest of it is commentary, and now go study it. So again, Jesus was giving the right interpretation, not a new Christian one. Love your neighbor as yourself is the heart of the ethical tradition of Judeo-Christianity. The Judeo-Christian tradition. And it was so long before Jesus was a baby. It has been since the most common way that Christians teach the Ten Commandments. The first tablet that Charlton Heston holds in the movie (laughs) are the things owed to God and the second owed to our neighbor. The rest is commentary and we've been debating it ever since. But in reading scripture, you recognize that it's in these commandments and debates, they are all time conditioned, particular examples of how folks are living out the love of God and neighbor in their particular time. Even that 10th commandment about coveting treats women as property. And so we know that's not a universal, it's time conditioned. The essence taught for centuries, millennia. Our faith is the living out of our love of God and neighbor. On my office wall, I have two paintings, well, two prints. One of 
Van Gogh's Good Samaritan reminds me of what's owed to our neighbor. And then Rembrandt's The Prodigal Son, what our relationship with God is like. The two commandments. It's even how Christians are rightly to interpret the Bible, and we've mostly gotten this wrong. In the third century, St. Augustine said, whoever thinks that he understands divine scriptures or any part of them, and does not, through that understanding, build up the double love of God and neighbor, does not understand what he's read at all. It's a sad state of our faith that tragically so many have emerged from Scripture hating their neighbors, particularly those different from themselves. It was so that this week I was invited to a a remarkable breakfast luncheon of the California Conference on Equality and Justice. And like most intercultural interfaith events in our time, I found myself both inspired and challenged by my presence there. Inspired by the extraordinary work being done interculturally, interreligiously, seeking justice for those marginalized. But challenged because I recognize that in some sense Christianity is being diluted and lost by not holding on to the core conviction that we have something unique to say. Most folks today are perhaps rightly convinced that one does not need to be a Christian to be a good person. And if one is ascribes to the Christian faith, one perhaps doesn't need to be a regular participant in a worshiping community. And if there's a truth written in creation, as Psalm 19 suggests, I would certainly hope it's the case that Christianity was not the only path to being a good person. Some might even suggest it's easier to be a good person not going to church. So how is it, as I enter into my own Lenten journey, that we can articulate and make an argument for why Christianity has a particularly important voice without usurping our need to triumph over the whole world? And this is where the the sermon has fallen flat two times in a row. So it may be that this is my own work in our Lenten journey. I would at least pose the question. It is true that Christians have seen in Jesus the mountaintop. And from the vision of that mountaintop, we have come to a conviction, rightly so, that we all hold a hope that all roads lead up the same mountain. What I am more concerned about is, if you don't don't pick one particular road, you're never going to get up that hill. So what is it? What's our important voice that we 
bringing into the conversation of all peoples, climbing that common mountain to transcendence. Let's open it up for debate. <laughs> it is certainly the case that we hold at the center of our conviction with, with Judaism, and Jesus was a Jew, so this is why it's, sometimes it's difficult, but there's not much about what I'm going to say as things goes forward that can't also be found in the Old Testament, in that remarkable psalm we heard today. To be Christian means <clears throat> that for us, more than just giving some rules for being good people. We say something particularly important and unique about God. And for, to do that, we talk about Jesus. That's what it means to some sense to be Christian. Christian words are reflections upon the experience of Jesus in the New Testament. New, Jesus was, by today's passage, recognizing Jesus was living out Torah. But Christians come to that saying that more than just, more than just, uh, uh, the, just that is the fact in pointing to Jesus we see very purely, we peer as best we know that's possible into the heart of God. And those reflections in the New Testament become particularly abstract and both powerful in the fourth gospel where it becomes unclear in that text when one is speaking about Jesus and when speaking about God, if God is speaking, the Spirit is speaking. Christians reflect on the divine nature of the transcendence by speaking of Jesus and saying we see in that life not just a human, surely a human person living out Torah, but also in that particular life we see the divine life at work in the world. This has been called the doctrine of the incarnation. We can use the other gospels, use other words like the only begotten son, this reflections that become Trinitarian. In essence, we're saying that in Jesus we can see God at work in the world. And if we see a God at work in the world through a particular human being, male, Palestinian, unmarried, rabbi, poor, teacher, born homeless on the night of his birth, suffered a horrible death at the hands of the Roman Empire, we are admitting that we are seeing a particular human being. What we have attempted to do most often is pull one of those traits out and make it the universal map to the kingdom of heaven. For example, we have erroneously taken the particularity of that human being and convinced many have since he was a male that God must be a man. Or that the only right teachers and speakers are men. That's not what we're affirming in saying that the divine life is visible in this particular human being. What we are doing 
at our best. Is saying that if God is present purely in this human being, it affirms the particularities and beauty of all human beings. John Wesley, the founder of our particular Christian tradition, held this at the center of his thinking when, at, when asked, who is our neighbor in that text? Wesley reflects, he says, well, it's not as commonly thought. It's not the persons that are, you know, we, Wesley says we are <clears throat> used to calling our neighbors those folks that kind of have the same opinions. They live next door, they're not too much different. He says, no. Our neighbor is every single human being. If God is present in the world for the life of this one, we are sent into the world to see the face of God in the other. That most different from ourselves, the one most in need, it compels us into the world not just to follow the law because we are taught it, but actually to seek God in the beauty of the world's diversity, in the particularity of the human beings in front of us. And we create idols when we reduce that beauty to someone like ourselves. Cal State Long Beach Choirs did this a little bit in, in their concert, drawing on Friday night, drawing from different text traditions. It comes from this core Christian conviction. It's the thing we bring to the table. That God is found in the world, but you can see it in Psalm 19. The heavens are telling the glory of God. And in that beauty is the remarkable diversity of human beings. I used to think it was a curse, but now I've taken it as a gift by the interesting journey my life has taken. From rural Missouri to the big city Chicago to the place that I least wanted to go in the world from there as a Midwesterner was California. Southern California of all places. <clears throat> and then the other place where I certainly did not want to go was Texas. But this has brought me closer, I think, to the, the spirituality of Psalm 19 and of the Christian conviction of the incarnation of God and the particularities of the world. I have found each one of these journeys has been an extraordinarily growth for me. And it wasn't until I noticed, particularly in California, that the beauty of the world was not in the movie stars, being celebrated tonight, hopefully more diverse than it's been. But the real true beauty of Southern California is the fact you can walk through a mall and hear 70 different languages. What a remarkable thing. The heavens are telling the glory of God. Written into that in the life of Jesus. It's just a remarkable gift of finding God out in the world with us, suffering alongside of us in the beauty of the other before us.
in our Lenten journey, may we walk into this faith. May you reflect uniquely on what it means to be Christian as we journey together with our Lord. And to God alone will be the glory, now and forever. Amen.